it's Lyle, one of the pastors here, and just want to say welcome. As Zach said a little bit earlier, it's your first time. Just encourage you to fill out a connect card. It's just kind of a way for you to make your presence known. So if you've got a Bible, uh, I encourage you to go Psalm 27. Psalm 27. Uh, so if you don't have a Bible, the passage of Scripture is uh, in your handout, and it will also be on the screen here in just a minute. And so as you're turning there, I want to make you aware of just uh, one kind of big thing. So uh, if, if you're just rolling in here, we're just, uh, we've been in a series that we've called Our Sojourn, and, and basically all we're trying to do with this, in some extent, is to kind of say, hey, we're, we're marking a kind of a new day in the life of our church. So if you've been with us for a long time, uh, there's ways that we want to celebrate where God's brought us, but at the same time, uh, we're, we're marking kind of like a new chapter in the life of Sojourn Community Church, and so there's some, some things that we've um, intensely done, especially in my first sermon, I mentioned this, we're, we're kind of moving away from language that says like um, um, kind of one church in four locations or, you know, one church in four different places or whatever. We're kind of more using language like we are, we are one name, Sojourn, in four local churches. And so we're even kind of moving away from language like multi-site and calling it more like multi-church. And, and I know maybe that's just, you know, for you, it's like, isn't that just semantics? Well, uh, it is to some extent, but I would argue language becomes theology. And what I mean by that is what you say also kind of ingrains what you believe. And we want to make sure we articulate what we are about here at Sojourn Community Church. So we're not one church in four locations. We're one name, Sojourn, and four local, diverse, unified churches. And we've called that the Sojourn Collective. And so um, some of you got a, a little booklet as you walked in here this morning. We got enough for these for one per family. So if you didn't get one, there's probably some out in the welcome table. Uh, if there's not, then we'll have some for you on uh, next Sunday. But basically what the Sojourn Collective is this. This is kind of the, the definition we've made. It's a family of interdependent churches that collaborate as one church to most effectively spread the gospel in the greater Louisville area. So to kind of help you a little bit, because that might be a collective, maybe a weird terminology for you. So think network but on a much smaller level in the sense of more local. Network can be nationwide. We're just going local. And when I mean by local, it's the Louisville area. You know, that includes southern Indiana and about 30 to 35-mile radius from the kind of the heart of Louisville, midtown, kind of the, the, the downtown area. So think network. If that doesn't help you, if you're kind of a traditional Southern Baptist like I grew up, think association with some nuances, though, all right? A lot more than some. A lot of nuances, all right? So Trying to give you a little bit of a picture of what I'm talking about. But this is what this little booklet will help you with. It kind of helps you understand more of what we mean by Sojourn Collective. What, what is this new day, kind of new chapter we're walking in? So I encourage you to grab one of these if you already don't have one. Uh, maybe don't read it while I'm talking. But I guess you can kind of flip through really fast. It's not a long read. Uh, but we're going to have a member meeting on May 23rd. And just encourage you to come back um, and ask questions. It's be an opportunity for us to kind of dive in more about what this means. Like, what does it mean that we're a Sojourn Collective? What's the transition look like? Uh, that kind of stuff. This book will help you with understanding that, but that member meeting will give you more uh, details. Also, along with this, to kind of mark some of this new day, we have um, redesigned our logo. And so I think we've got a, a picture of that on the screen. So it's not necessarily a total redo. It's more of a refresher. And so we did that on purpose because we want to acknowledge that there's a history that we have you know, we're, we're, yeah, we're 18 years old. There's a start. There's a beginning that we want to acknowledge. But at the same time, this is a new chapter and a new day. And so a, a new logo, kind of a redo of what our original was, kind of ignites that for us. And we also uh, have a new website. And we, it's live today. 
Uh, so some of you gave a whoop whoop because our old website is atrocious. It's really awful. I mean, you had to have a master's degree to find a sermon for crying out loud. It's like, I even tried to get in there and find them. I, I gave up. I'm, I'm, I'm the pastor here and I can't even find a sermon. So uh, that is live today. And so I encourage you to go and take a look at that uh, when you get home. Uh, we'll, there's, all, there's some tweaks that are still in process here. So it's not necessarily a completely finished product, but it's, uh, it's pretty close. And so we're just... Man, we're, we're saying, hey, this is a new day in the life of our church and very excited about what the future holds for us. We really do believe uh, that the best is yet to come. And so encourage you, if you're a member here, to make sure you roll in here on May 23rd as we kind of give more details about what this is going to look like. All right? So yeah, we're in the middle of just a short series that we've called Our Sojourn. So week one, we just talked about our mission, kind of our purpose, what we're about, who are we? Uh, we are here to reach people with the gospel, build them up as a church, and to send them out into the world. And so the last week, we kind of started with these ideas of values. And so if the first week was more about what we are about, uh, these values are more about like what, is, what makes sojourn sojourn. And we've laid out three of them. We talked about truth last week. So we want to be a body of people that are embedded and rooted in the word of God because we believe that's where the source of all truth comes from. Today, we're going to talk about beauty. Uh, which some of you are going, beauty is a value. We'll get there in a second. Uh, and then next week, we're going to talk about goodness. And just like I said last week, uh, our kind of our desire with these values is that we want these values to be embedded in our culture. We want them, them to be embedded in you and the life of our church. And so in one sense, I'm hoping that you're not surprised when we talk about these three values. That if you've been here for a while, even though we may not have articulated it specifically and said, hey, we value truth here, even as you hear us talk about truth, you're going to go, yeah, I see that. You know, we're going to talk about beauty here in just a few minutes. And even though I've never from the stage in seven years said, hey, we have a core value of beauty. I'm praying as you walk through the sermon or hear the sermon, not you walk through it because I'll do that for you. You're not going to have to walk through it. Uh, but as you hear the sermon, that you will say, yeah, that makes sense, that I'm connecting dots there. And then hopefully next week when we talk about goodness, you'll feel the same way because that's what I want. I don't want these values to be something we kind of have on a web page or even on print or on the wall, for, so to speak. I want them to be embedded in the life of our church to where when you hear them, it goes, yeah, that totally makes sense. I see that, and I feel that and experience it in this community. All right? Awesome. So we're in Psalm 27, and that's where we're unpacking beauty today. So I encourage you to stand with me in honor of reading God's word. So I just want to get you a heads up here, too. Um, so last week, I was sweating like crazy up here. I'm already getting warm. I'm getting ready to reach back here while I'm praying. You won't even see this. I'm going to turn on this fan, all right? So there's all kinds of things we do while things praying, right? So we love that. You guys have your heads bowed and eyes closed. And I'm doing all kinds of stuff up here. Um, the second thing, thanks for a little bit of laughter there. Not much, but just a little bit. Uh, man, I tell you, this time of year, it always happens. Man, seasonal stuff gets my allergies going like crazy, man. Uh, it's nuts. I'm even on allergy medication. And yesterday, literally, I went through a whole roll of toilet paper blowing my nose. Man, that's some nasty stuff. Man, I was like a dripping faucet. It was like just rolling out. And so my doctor has to be doubled up on my medication that I normally take. And so with that, the side effect is I don't have any saliva. Like everything wet in my mouth is dried up, for crying out loud. And so I, I got a little tasty water here. I'm going to be chugging. I need a camel pack. Whoops, put that in my mouth, right? <laughs> what I feel like I need. Oh, gosh. But that's a whole lot better than you guys seeing 
water coming out of my nose. And yes, that's a little gross, but you guys love me and I love you, all right? Maybe not that much, right? So, hey, we're just going to look at, uh, we're going to read verses 1 through 6. I've got the whole psalm printed in your, in your handout. just encourage you to, uh, to kind of meditate on that, sit with that over the course of this week. But we're just going to unpack uh, the first six verses today. So hear the word of the Lord. This is a psalm of David. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. One thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. For in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his tabernacle and set me high upon a rock. And then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. At his tabernacle will I sacrifice with shouts of joy. And I will sing and make music to the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for the beauty of this day, God. And sometimes I just want us to sit and kind of just... Uh, soak in, in, in a real way, the sun, Lord, because it is a reflection of your beauty, and we're going to see that here in just a minute. So God, move us today. Stir our emotions. Stir our affections for you, God. You've given us these emotions, Lord. Use them in a way that's God-glorifying this morning. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So yeah, uh, a sermon on beauty is similar to truth. I mean, it can get really, um, you can get in the, in, in the weeds really fast, and it can get a little squirrely, and everybody can get really, like, bored, right? It's like, oh my, this is way over my head. And so, uh, so I'm just going to give you a heads up like I did for truth. I'm not going to answer all your questions that you have about beauty, or I'm not. I've got about 30 minutes to kind of unpack this idea of beauty. And so, so my desire this morning is simple. Here's my desire. I'm trying to help us understand when I say we value beauty, what does that mean? That's all I'm trying to do. And so I'm going to do that by answering three questions that are kind of found in this text. So the first one is this. I want to answer, so if you're a note taker, you're loving today again. Amen. Uh, one is, what is beauty? It's the first question. So we've got, we got to have kind of a, a working definition so that we're all on the same page when it comes to beauty. So what is beauty? Secondly, why am I drawn to it? Like that's distinctively human. Your, parent, your pets, you almost said your parents, <laughs> your pets, a few snickers, your pets are not drawn to beauty, but you are. Why is that? Your dogs don't go look at sunset. Your cats don't go look at the beauty of a bird. They want to eat them, right? They see dinner. I don't see dinner. I see something beautiful there, right? Why is that? Why is humans drawn to beauty? And then the last one, then what, what do we do with this? All right, what, what does it mean then? as a result of answering those two questions, that we as a church value beauty. So the first question is this, what is beauty? So in verse 4, 
David expresses there, I want to gaze on the beauty of the Lord. That word can be translated other places as kindness, uh, lovely, to be pleasant. You can actually even in Genesis 1 where, where God declares the creation good, you can even translate that word beautiful. And so it's this idea of being delightful, to be perfect. But there's still um, a, a, a difficulty in defining beauty. It's, you know, it's like trying to you know, uh, describe to someone what a banana tastes like, right? You know, banana doesn't taste like chicken. That's what we do with everything, right? A squirrel tastes like chicken. Chick, you know, frog legs taste like chicken. Everything tastes like chicken. But banana just tastes like a banana. There's nothing you can kind of compare it to. And it's similar with beauty. It's hard to define, but when you see it, you know it, right? It's similar to glory, which is a, a synonym to beauty in the Bible. It's hard to define glory, even though we've got working definitions of glory. But it's still really hard to define it. But when we see it, we know it. When we see something that's glorious, we go, wow, that, that's glorious. When we see something that is beautiful, we say, there it is, right there. So with that in mind, here's my best stab, all right, along with other people. This is not stuff that I'm making up on my own here. So I think beauty describes three inherent attributes. And those three attributes are these. Excellence, attractive, transformation. Excellence, attractive, transformation. So the first one, the first inherent attribute is excellence. So look, don't, don't think corporate stuff here, all right, because that's not where I'm going. So some of us, when we think excellent, we, we go to corporate language or, you know, everything's got to be, you know, cool and met and all these criteria, or whatever. That's not where I'm going. When I'm talking about excellence, it's this. It's when something functions according to its design. So I'm, when I'm saying that beauty, an attribute of beauty to define it is excellence, it means this. It's when something functions according to its design. A few weeks ago, my wife and I went on a, a date. It's kind of like a birthday celebration for her. Uh, she's 25, in case you wonder how old she is. All right, so I started dating her when she was in the nursery. So it's kind of how it works in my family. Amen? Uh, she's, she's not 25. She just looks 25. But uh, someone had given us a gift certificate to Jeff Ruby's. Anybody ever eaten at Jeff Ruby's before? Okay, awesome. There's a few. All right, so we can't eat there unless someone gives us a gift certificate. Amen. But we're really thankful when they do. And I'm telling you what, man, I ordered the filet, and when I took a bite of that filet, I said, this is how a steak was supposed to taste. It was excellent. Now, what you get at Bonanza or Ponderosa, I'm not sure what that is, right? <laughs> that may be some dog meat, for crying out loud, right? That is how a steak was created to taste. We even got mac and cheese. <laughs> oh, my, right? That's how macaroni and cheese was, was created to taste. How they, I can't even go back to the craft, ma, the craft box right now. It's like, I, I can't even go there. Let the boys go for it. But, man, it was excellent. And in some ways, you can say that was beautiful. It was beautiful. It's when something is consistent with its design. That's exactly how a steak is supposed to taste. Excellent. So something that is beautiful, it's consistent with its design. It line, it, its intent lines up with its execution. Secondly, it's attractive. And now what I mean by that is this. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying necessarily like uh, pretty or aesthetic to your eyes, which it is part of that, but more what I'm talking about when I think of attractive, it's, it draws you in. 
Something beautiful draws you in. So even now, some of you are thinking of steak, right? Because you want it. It's, it, it drew you in. When you watch a sunset or a sunrise, it's not a time thing, right? Okay, 30 seconds. Let's go, right? No, when you watch something as beautiful as that, there's a way it kind of draws you in. That's why you take your time when you may go through an art gallery because you want to see the beauty and it has a way of drawing you in to it. So beauty is something that is excellent that draws you in. And lastly, it's transformational. It does something to you. Are you following me? When you encounter something that is beautiful, it does something to you. You see a sunrise, you see a sunset, it refreshes you, makes you alive. You take a walk even right now and the dogwoods are popping, amen? They are beautiful. And, and st- standing and seeing and lingering there does something in you. So beauty, it is excellence that draws you in and transforms you. It's excellence that draws you in and changes you. So I found a picture that I feel like captures this really well, all right? So I want to show you the picture here real quick. This is um, George H.W. Bush sitting before his wife, Barbara, who's in the casket, obviously. And yeah, there's a, there's a lot of pain here, right? There's a lot of difficulty here. This is a huge loss for him. But at the same time, there's something beautiful about this picture. It's excellent. This is how God designed marriage to be. One woman, one man for a lifetime. Till death do you part. Seventy-three years they were married. And as you linger here, what does it do? It, It draws you in. You don't want to kind of skip this picture real quickly. You want to sit and look and allow it to kind of linger. And then there's a way that this also transforms you and changes you. So beauty is excellence that draws you in and transforms you. So second question, then, okay, why am I drawn to it? See, that's not a Christian thing, right? Being drawn to beauty is not just a Christian deal. It's all of humanity. Why? Why? Am I drawn to beauty? Well, the the, the short answer is the reason why you're drawn to beauty is because God's beautiful. The reason why you're drawn to beauty is that every single one of us in this room, no matter if you're a Christian or not a Christian, are are made in the image of God. That The the DNA of you is, is an imprint of the image of God. And so therefore, there's a longing for things that are beautiful because God ultimately is the beautiful one. That's why you're drawn to beauty. I mean, look what David is doing in this psalm. And I realize that this psalm is all about fear. That's what this psalm is about. It's all about fear and how to deal with it. So I just encourage you to go home and spend some time meditating and working through this. But look what he says here in verse 1. It's kind of like, um, sort of like the thesis statement of this entire psalm. Look what David says. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Here's kind of the theme. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. 
Of whom shall I be afraid? Kind of similar repetitious statement here. So David is declaring this, that God is my light, he's my salvation, he's my stronghold, and I don't have anything to be fearful of because God's with me. And then he goes on in verse 2 and 3, and it's almost like he's imagining some of these worst-case scenarios here. Look what he says here in verse 2. When evil men advance against me to devour my flesh, when my enemies and my foes attack me, they will, not me, not David, they will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, crazy for him to say what he says next, my heart will not fear. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. Look, I I think what David is saying here, it's not necessarily that what's going on in verse 3 is happening at that moment. It may have happened somewhere, but I don't know necessarily that it's happening in that moment. It's almost like He's imagining the worst-case scenario. He does that even in verse 10. If you read on there, where he talks about his father and mother, you know, you know uh, disowning him, so to speak. So he's kind of imagining the worst-case scenario of what could happen to him. And even in the midst, if this would happen, if army besiege me, if a war break out against me, if my mom and dad disown me, guess what? I'm not going to be fearful. I'm not going to be afraid. And I don't know about you, but that sounds like pie in the sky, right? Like we're freaking out in our home when our kids have got like the stomach flu, right? Like we're squirting people down with as much alcohol as we possibly can. Not beer, but you know what I'm saying, like the rubbing, whatever, moving on. That's just not very good. I need to stay with my notes, amen? Stay with my notes. But, but here's what, like, like it's, it's, it's like how in the world can David not fear? He tells us in verse 4. It says, one thing I ask of the Lord, and this is what I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. Now, if you're reading that, it may feel like it says three things and not one thing, doesn't it? It seems like he's saying, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord. I want to gaze upon the beauty of God and I want to seek him in his temple. But the one thing that specifically he's saying here is this, is that David wants to dwell in the house of the Lord. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean he literally wants to live forever in this temple or tabernacle, this tent that houses the very presence of the Lord. You've got to remember that. There's a, there's, a, there's a portable tent tabernacle that he's talking about here that, that was a physical representation of the presence of God. And so when David says, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord, he doesn't literally want to do that. What he's basically saying is, I want God. That's my one thing. He says a similar thing in Psalm 23, verse 6, when he says, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. He's basically saying this, I want God. I want God to be in the presence of God. God is my one thing. So watch what he's doing here. How does God being your one thing help you with your fear? How does that help be sort of an antidote to our fearfulness? Well, look what he says here. And the reason why that is the one thing is because my fears are directly proportional to the vulnerability of the things that are my greatest joys. I'll say that again. My fears are directly proportional to the vulnerability of the things that are my greatest joy. Translation, if Kathy, my wife, is my one thing, 
then I'll live in fear and anxiety because something could happen to her and it would be devastating to me. If my kids are my one thing, then I'm paralyzed by fear and anxiety and worry. If my job is my one thing, then once again, I'm, I'm paralyzed by fear, worry, anxiety. But if God is my one thing, then I have nothing to fear because God can't be taken away from me. If the thing that is my greatest joy is God, I will live without fear. If my one thing, the thing I most want is God, then I'm safe. Now please hear me. I know this is not a a sermon on anxiety and worry and fear. I get that. But I gotta show you Psalm 27 and show you how beauty kind of rolls in there. So I get that. The other thing, please hear me, I'm not trying to give you trite, easy, quick answers to deal with anxiety, fear, and worry. I realize, man, there's a, that it's way more complex than that. I, I get that. But here's what I am saying, all right? I'm saying that this is where it, it starts. This is the foundation. If you're trying to deal with your fear and anxiety and worry without doing kind of like this internal, interior work of God being your one thing, then whatever you try to do will always leave you wanting and it will fail you. David's saying the reason why I don't fear is because God is my one thing. Now why is it that God is one thing? Well, look, he continues on in verse four. In the end of that, the reason why God is his one thing is because it's an opportunity to seek him, to inquire of him, to go and find out what his will is, what is his desire. God's the one that lays the path out that we should walk in. He knows how life is supposed to live. So I want to get into the presence of God and find out, okay, how am I to live? Give me direction. Give me wisdom. Help me. That's what he means by seeking him, inquiring of the Lord. But the one I want to camp out on here just for a minute here is because he, God is, is his one thing because of why? Because he wants to gaze on the beauty of God. There is something about God that is attractive and satisfying. God has everything that is desirable. And so what David is doing here that we don't have a tendency to do, or I'll personalize it, I don't do real well. He's making some connections here. So this, this tabernacle, this tent, dude, it is beautiful. Like when, when we think about a tent, like we're not worried about aesthetics, right? If we're going camping, we're not thinking about, hey, what pictures are we bringing from the home so we can hang them up when we get there, right? How's the aesthetics going to be in there? Is it going to look beautiful, the light, the ambiance? No one. It's like, I just want it to keep the rain off of me, right? I just want to kind of get some shade. I don't give a rip what it looks like. It's kind of like this a little bit, right? It's like, let's just make this functional. This little tent is not here for beauty, Amen. Okay, maybe I'm the only one to say anything. I'm thankful for it because it shades most of you in this congregation. But this, this tabernacle that David is talking about is not some ordinary tent. Go and read Exodus 35 through 39. God gives them specific details on how to make this tent look beautiful. This tent is stunningly beautiful. Why? Why does God go to such extremes to make sure this tent is beautiful? I'll tell you why. Because God is beautiful. And David is making connections here. You see, God's not worried. God's not worried like, 
oh, I should make this really ugly because if I make it beautiful, then they may worship the tent and not the giver of the tent. So I'm just going to make this look really plain, black and white, whatever, beige walls, I don't know, because I don't want those that are coming into worship to worship the facility, so to speak. I want to make sure they worship God. No, God is not fearful of that. And the reason why he wants to make it beautiful is because he wants us, just like David did, make connections. This tent is stunningly beautiful. Therefore, God must be beautiful. I don't know about you. I have a tendency to when I think about God, I may think about his grace, I may think about his power, I may think about his wisdom, his kindness, his justice, the way he's in control of all things, his holiness. But beauty? Not so much. And the irony of that is that everything that is beautiful that I experience in this world has its origin and source in God. He's the beauty behind everything that is beautiful. I mean, he could, he could just make one type of tree. He's God. He could have made just the oak. That's a nice tree. It's pretty awesome, right? Makes great floors. Amen? As well as nice, something to look at too. All right, I'm just wanting to cut it down. All right, sorry about that. But he made thousands of trees that have a different flower that comes out in the spring. I mean, dogwoods are beautiful, aren't they? They are stunningly beautiful. It's almost like in Psalm 19, where it talks about the, the universe, the world is declaring the glory of God. I would say also, because glory is a synonym to beauty, the universe is declaring the beauty of God. You could have just made one type of bird. We've got a little bird feeder on the back of our porch and I'm really not liking squirrels right now. I want to get a little 22 and shoot those suckers, right? I <laughs> don't know if that's legal. I think a BB gun is. Someone told me you should put a slinky on it. That'll help them. And it's kind of fun to watch them too on it, all right? <laughs> There's so many birds. Some woodpeckers that are rolling in there. Man, they are gorgeous, beautiful. Look, the reason why we long for beauty and yearn for beauty is because God is beautiful. The reason why this world, even in its fallen state, you hear that? Even when it's still under a curse because of sin, it's beautiful. And why is that? Because God is beautiful. David's one thing is I want to be with God. Why? Because God is beautiful. When we encounter beauty, wherever it is found, we're catching a glimpse of God. It's a means by which God provides for us that we can experience him in ways we cannot otherwise. 
I mean, think about it, guys. You can, you can think about a sunset all you want. You can even watch it on TV. But then you go and experience it. Something happens there. And there's a way that God's drawing you closer to him. You can pray and journal, and those are good things, and we should do those. But sometimes when you even hear a song, and it doesn't have to be a Christian song, right? It'll bring you to tears. And there's something going on in you when, when those tears start flowing. That, and if we will make the connections that is drawing us closer to God in a way we're experiencing him that we can't do otherwise. We can plan and dream of our first child, but then you hold her. Then you hold that little boy. And there's something that happens in you that is beautiful. And it's directly connected to the God of beauty. He is beautiful. So when we value beauty here, it means this, is it's a means by which God is using to help draw us closer to him. The reason why we're drawn to beauty is because God is beautiful. So lastly, and then we're done, and I'll do this, this quickly here. So what does this mean for us? What does it mean for us to value beauty here? I'll give you three C's, all right? So hopefully this will help you. Like I said, if you're an outline person, you're loving today's sermon, all right? So what does it mean for us? The first one is this, and I've already alluded to this, but I want to make sure I state it clearly. I want us as a body, as followers of Jesus Christ, to be making these connections. I want us, or you can say it like this, another word of using, I want us to be curious around beauty. So whenever you encounter something that is beautiful, I want us to ask questions like this. What kind of God is God that makes steak taste so good? What must God be like to make a dogwood look so beautiful? What kind of God is God to even make the, the mundane of peanut and butter and jelly taste so good? Amen? There's nothing like a good little peanut butter and jelly sandwich. Maybe that's not something for most of us in here, especially if you've got peanut allergies, right? So... But that's the kind of connections that I'm wanting us to make that, that it, it's, it's almost like it's, it's so ingrained in us that we don't even have to think about it. And when we make these kind of connections, it keeps us from sin and idolatry. See, the problem with a lot of us is that we just stop with the enjoyment of steak without taking it another step and think about, what is God like to make this taste so good? It keeps us from worshiping the gift and enjoying the gift while worshiping the giver. So this week, man, take a walk. Finally, spring is here, I think, right? We can maybe do away with the winter jacket. I don't know. It may come back. It's Kentucky, amen? Take a walk. Go to a park. See the beauty and make connections. Listen to music. And like I said, it doesn't have to necessarily be Christian. Everyone is created in the image of God, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian. And there's ways 
as Christians and Christ followers that we can listen to music that necessarily isn't labeled Christian and we can worship because we're making connections that no one else is making. Watch a sunset. Watch a sunrise. Be curious. Make connections. The beauty of this world is shouting something to us about God. Am I listening? Secondly, we want to cultivate beauty here. And so basically what I, what I mean by that is that we want this to be a place for artists. We want this to be a place for people to display their art, their creativity. We want this to be a place where we got some really talented and gift, gifted photographers. I don't know what all this is going to look like, but I, I really want a place for them to display their beautiful work. We want to write new songs. The song that Ka song sung during the... Uh, the the giving portion is a song that he wrote. And it's a good, well-done song, and I want that to be cultivated more and more in the context of this community. We cultivate beauty by not only giving artists a place to display the work, but we cultivate beauty because we care about spaces. We want our spaces, our gathering spaces, to be beautiful. Like, we could have just put on, a, like, you know, the Baptist beige, for crying out loud, that's what I grew up, I Southern Baptist, and every church I went to had beige walls. It's like, come on. This is so boring. God would not paint the world in beige. Why do we have a building that's all beige, right? Maybe that's only my issues. I don't know if any counseling for that or something. But look, we did this on purpose because this is beautiful. Tessa Jane and them did a phenomenal job of painting something here that's pleasing to our eyes. Like, I know we didn't have much to do with this, and I know this is probably not the most efficient thing as far as heating and cooling, but I'm here to tell you I thank God for it. Dude, it's beautiful. This, this rock wall, since we've got it painted, all right, it used to be the penguin poop deck, right? He said, that's what one guy called it when they painted it. It's like the penguin poop deck. I got it painted up. That's what the bill was on there. But man, there's something beautiful about this. One of the things I'm looking forward to as we walk into our newly renovated auditorium that I think has been hidden from us for seven years because of the balcony is our wood ceilings. I go in there almost every day when I'm here. I just look up. Dude, it is beautiful. We care about spaces. We want them to be beautiful spaces here. I know some of you are th sitting there thinking, well I'm, well, I'm not creative, I'm not artistic, I, you know, I can't write a song, I can't sing, I can't even do stick figures, I'm awful at all this. I'm not creative, I'm not, but here's what I want to say to you. Maybe you're not in that way, because sometimes we, we put creativity and art and beauty in a box, and if I'm not in this box and I don't have this, and I want to say, no, 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 you, you have it. You're creating the image of God, and God is a beautiful God, so it's there, and you're cultivating beauty. Do you mow your lawn? You're cultivating beauty, guys. Some of you are like next level and you get stripes in your lawn, right? <laughs> I keep trying to do that with my John Deere. It just doesn't work, right? Some of you have the capacity to take chaos that's at work and bring order. That's beauty. That's beauty. Some of you love planting gardens. Some of you love working your landscape. Because look, that's cultivating beauty. So want us as a body 
to make connections. I want us as a body to cultivate beauty. Here's a great question to ask yourself. How can I work where I am with what I have to reveal the beauty of God in this place? Where can, how can I work where I am with what I have to reveal the beauty of God in this place? And the last one is this, and we'll end here. I want us to be a people that celebrate beauty. And here's what I mean by that. I, I, there's, there's a lot of ways we can celebrate, and so I'm not saying those are not celebrating beauty. I think there's a lot of ways of doing that. But the thing I'm leaning more on is I want to celebrate beauty by celebrating beautiful lives that have been changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is truly beautiful. That when the grace of God through his son Jesus Christ steps into your life, and begins to take the mess that sin created and make something beautiful. The Bible tells us very clearly, man, we're, we're headed to glory. Someday we will see our bodies, our physical bodies, as they were meant to be. We're headed to glory. And a synonym of glory is what? Beauty. So it's one of the reasons why we celebrate baptism, baptism here. It's because we're celebrating beauty. We're celebrating a changed life. We're celebrating someone that's been in darkness and now he's a king, I mean, a son or a daughter of, of King Jesus. So what I want to do here, just for a, a minute, all right, uh, we've had some great photographers, Shaylin uh, Meadows and David Kidd took some beautiful pictures of our last baptism service. And I just want us to watch these. There's about six or seven of them. And I want us to see how this is celebrating beauty even through the capturing of that moment. One author says this, the fact is God is beautiful and the church is hiding this. I don't want that to be us. So maybe you're here today and you're not a Christian and this idea of God being beautiful is something really new. Maybe you imagine God being something else and it may not be very good at all. And this idea that he's beautiful, it's like, wow, I, I, don't, I don't know, I'm, I'm really struggling. And I want to encourage you and I want to invite you today that, to recognize that your longing for beauty is ultimately a longing for God. And God sent his son Jesus to put you into a right relationship with him to kind of find a culmination for that longing for beauty. So if you would like to become a Christian here, I, I want to invite you, you can do that today. You can fill out a connect card, put your name in there, and say, man, I want to know more about what it means to be a Christian. We'll follow up with you this week. We always have a couple that's right by this corner, my left, your right, that would love to sit down with you and talk to you more about what it means to have a relationship with him. But maybe, maybe that's too big of a step, right? Maybe you're not ready for that. Well, maybe this is a small step for you. This week, every time, that you encounter something beautiful. Ask yourself this question. What, is, what, what could God be like to where he makes this thing so beautiful? What must God be like? Maybe you're here and you're a Christian and you would say that your relationship with God is a little stale, maybe even kind of cold, maybe even boring. And I would say this, that sometimes that's reality, and it's not necessarily always directed to sin. It's not always because there's something sinful in your life. Sometimes it is, 
But sometimes it's just the life that we live in a fallen world with a fallen body that's still struggling with sin. And we have seasons where it feels like, man, I, man it's cold, it's hard, it's difficult. Here's, here's my encouragement for you. This week, go take a walk. Go to a park and make connections. Get up early. Watch a sunrise. Watched it this morning. Oh, man, this is beautiful. Went and ran Friday morning. It was cold, but there was a crispiness to that. That, was, that sounds kind of weird, crispiness, but it was just a beautiful, moving moment. Watch a movie. Listen to music. And ask your question, what must God be like to make this so enjoyable? Let's pray.